Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz. So we've got a great show tonight uh, with a guest who's been on more than anybody else over the last several years. Mr. Charlie Pierce is the author of four books. His uh, most recent is called Idiot America. He blogs for Esquire.com, one of the, my favorite uh, political commentators in all of America. And uh, he's a sports nut. He twitters at uh, Charles P. Pierce. And uh, we always have a good time talking with Mr. Pierce. Charlie, how are you doing tonight? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm coming around. I had kind of a rough spell there for a while, but uh, yeah, I'm on you the. Disappe- uh, I'm you, disappe- you disappeared from Twitter. I was concerned. Yeah, no, I did, and then uh, and then kind of as part of my comeback, I just had two cataract surgeries in the last ten days. So I'm uh, oh. on my site at twenty thirty, and uh, wow, how many, how many times do you think I've lost my cheaters in the last four days? Oh, I, I would guess probably at least 20. I've lost mine, by the way. I'm dealing oh, yeah, with an old pair now. Least, at least 20, but uh, that's the way of the world. But it is that uh, cataract surgery. It's, you know, I told my doctor, I said, this, you know, you're in Jesus territory here. Given eyesight to the blind, which was also a great Sonny Boy Williamson song. But uh, but I'm on the Hijack, hijack hijacked, hijacked by the way, Hijacked, by the way, by the who into Tommy. <laughs> it's the only they, song. It's the only song in the opera that Pete Townsend didn't write. Really? Yep. Well, God bless. God that's, bless the, that's the Acid Queen song. Tina Turner sings oh. it in the movie version. Oh, cool, Charlie. I was just uh, reading uh, your latest on Esquire about uh, Mark Meadows being in deep doo doo, and uh, uh, I might be conflating a couple of your recent articles. Uh, one of the reasons why I got turned on you early on, I saw you on MSNBC and CNN and the rest, but you're, you're, you've got such great phraseology uh, referring to January 6th as the bear spray barbarians. And, and then your latest about the American conservatism uh, is like a rotting whale carcass on the beach. Uh, keep those coming. What's the update uh, with uh, Meadows and the uh, January 6th commission? Well, they, they debated uh, the resolution to hold him in contempt today on the floor, and I suspect it probably will pass. Uh, and then they will, that will go off to the Justice Department, and we'll see. Uh, the interesting thing today is that the city of the District of Columbia, I don't want to say the city because that's not right, the District of Columbia is suing the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers under an old anti-Ku Klux Klan law for all the damage they did in the, to the city and its, you know, and the people that worked for it on January 6th. The attorney, sure. by the way, uh, the District of Columbia ha- is not a state, but it has its own attorney general, which I find very strange. Yeah. <laughs> now tell us a little bit about, I was kind of reading that article too, tell us about where this uh, anti-Ku Klux Klan law originated. Well, it originated in, it originated in 1871 uh, when the Klan was running amok uh, in the South, uh, intimidating and killing recently freed it, it, what, what were then called freedmen when they tried to vote or basically do anything uh, that, you know, without 
permission from white people. Uh, and it has subsequently been used. Uh, it was used successfully in a lawsuit against the people who organized the rally in Charlottesville, mm-hmm. where Heather Heyer died. And it was used in 1987, and this is something that may have gotten by a lot of people, by a woman named Beulah Mae Donald, whose son was lynched. And wow. she used it to sue the United Clans of America and beat them for $7 million, broke the organization completely, and wound up owning their headquarters. I thought that's what I was reading. Wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> the same law that, that, uh, that I can't remember the AG from Washington's name. I should just, I just wrote about him. I should remember it. Anyway, that's the law he's using uh, to, get a fer- to get a suit in federal court against the, or- the Oath Keepers and the, pr- and the Proud Boys. Well, God bless you. So we keep our dude. fingers crossed. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's interesting. As you know, I'm living in Duluth, Minnesota now. And they had, a couple of years ago, uh, they did some research uh, to identify how many citizens of Duluth were members of the Ku Klux Klan. And it was like 100 plus. I don't know exactly the time frame. Uh, but... Uh, you know the rem the, the remnants of that are they're still out there, obviously, right? Well, I mean they've, they've been reactivated. I mean it's like a it's like one of those viruses in the permafrost. <laughs> you know that, that all of a sudden all of a sudden people are worried because the permafrost is melting. We don't know what's what's living under there. How deep is the doo doo that Mark Meadows is in? I think he's in huge trouble. Uh, I think, you know, he's already turned over stuff to the committee that at the very least puts him as the White House point person into what happened on January 6th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, you know, this is the stuff that he's now claiming is privilege. I don't know where that one came from. But I've got to believe, you know, that, that he also deleted a whole bunch of emails or, excuse me, deleted a whole bunch of texts. And I'd love to know what were in those. Right. But, yeah, he's he's. At the moment, he's uh, yeah, trying to come up with the Watergate analogy. Right now, he's Haldeman. Yeah. And all the roads lead to him right now. Mm. And unless he decides to, you know, give it up, he's, he's, got, he's got gigantic trouble. Yeah. He's probably uh, trying to track down Rosemary Woods to blame her. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what, uh, Charlie, it finally seems like this January 6th commission has some teeth and some gravitas. Yeah, I, I was just writing today, I don't know if you saw it, but the Attorney General of the District of Columbia is suing the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers under, oh, we already talked about this, right? Yeah. The Klan law? Okay. Along with, all right, we'll start again. One, two, three. Yeah, between the committee and whatever comes out of the Department of Justice, whenever it comes out of the Department of Justice, and this lawsuit that the D.C. people filed today, the walls are closing in a little bit. Uh, and I think certainly the, the, the special committee has done everything right. They've played everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Up to and including making sure that, you know, their most significant votes take place at night so the chamber looks like dark and shadowy. I mean, that's great stagecraft, whoever thought that up. Right. 
what uh, what do you know about this Benny Thompson? He seems like a real uh, uh, real fire plug. Good guy. Yeah, old, you know, old school Mississippi African American Democrat came out of the movement. You know, didn't have a real high profile ever, but is pretty plainly you know, in command, was smart enough to put Liz Cheney out front as a point person. I have no use for Lynn Cheney otherwise. But he's like the shotgun you borrow from the neighbor you hate. Right. You know, in case you need it. Uh, but she was smart enough, he was smart enough to do that. He was strong enough to stand up against McCarthy's attempt to put Jim Jordan and that other guy on the committee. Oh, and, God. You know, therefore, therefore, you know, McCarthy could say, well, it's a partisan committee. Apparently, Ben Thompson, uh, uh, Benny Thompson doesn't care about that. Right. So far, he's he's handled the ship very, very well, I think. Well, the ghost of Sam Irvin stays with <laughs> us. I think the ghost of Sam Irvin would be kind of disconcerted if you compared him to Benny Thompson. Because <laughs> <But>, <laughs> in his earlier days, of course, uh, Sam wasn't real big on that whole integration thing. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I I remember watching the Watergate hearings, and uh, oh yeah, and and it was just uh, at least at that point in the career, he was a damn good guy. Yeah, you know, he was no, and that was you know that was when I think that summer when we were all glued to the TV sets every day, that was the day that everything turned. Yeah, uh, on what on Whitewater. Arch Whitewater on Watergate. Uh, that was the moment that uh, he, uh, you know, that was that was the moment where people started paying attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that if these if there are hearings in this committee, uh, about uh, you know if they're you know, if there are televised hearings of this committee after the first of the year, mm-hmm. that's going to that's going to be a big thing. That's going to be an important thing. What do you think of the? Uh, just you know, I, I get so frustrated with Democratic messaging, and I've had for years. Uh, but Biden's actually getting some things done, but when they accomplish something, they never seem to get the word out in a proper and powerful way. Is it just me? Uh, I think they, I mean, I think they have a messaging problem. I think the messaging problem has been overblown by a bunch of reporters who haven't been doing their job for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, that you know, the, right now, that right now the state of political writing out of Wisconsin is abysmal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, just awful. Yeah. What? Um, let's do this. We're going to. I'm going to uh, indulge myself a little bit and play my song uh, that Willie, the great, late great Willie Walker sings, called uh, "Ain't Gonna Whistle Dixie Anymore." Oh yeah, wrote, let's do that. that. That I wrote about the Charlottesville March and dedicated yeah. it to the great American patriot Heather Heyer. And then we've got uh, Checkpoint Charlie Pearson for the whole show tonight. On the wall of our radio hour. I saw your tiki torch parade on the blood red evening news. I remember 
Timothy McVeigh And the Jesus was a Jew Benedict Arnold waits for you In the hottest place in hell The screaming souls will drown you out Yes, seek high rebel yell I ain't gonna whistle Dixie anymore I ain't gonna whistle Dixie anymore Hear that song in the land of cotton Deep in the Delta mud to be long forgotten Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. We are continuing our great series called Checkpoint Charlie with great uh, political writer and mind, Charlie Pierce, from his home outside of Boston. Charlie, I've got to uh, take a left turn on politics here for a minute. There's a book that I'm inhaling that you have a blurb on, Jonathan Taplin's The Magic Years, Scenes from a Rock and Roll Life. What an incredible book. Yeah, John was, uh, John was everywhere. Uh, yeah. You know, and he wrote, he wrote actually, he, 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 he wrote a, a book about the perils of technology uh, back I, I, right when I started the blog, right, 2011, 2012, uh, called Move Fast and Break Things, which mm-hmm. is also very, very good. But the, the rock and roll memoir is fabulous. I mean, the guy was, like I said, he was outside of Bill Graham. He was everywhere. He was Zelig. Especially you, in, the, in the Dylan well, band, you know, Woodstock community circle. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, how did you uh, uh, bump into Jonathan? Well, how? How do you guys know each other? Oh, we we be same way I bumped into you, my friend. We, we're Twitter pals. Really? He said something nice about the blog, and I, you know, corresponded with him. And first, I said, "Are you the real Johnson? Are you the Johnson Tapp to work with the band?" And we went on from there. Yeah, uh, uh, I yeah. met a lot of people that way. Yeah, I just love uh, Taplin's book, The Magic Years, Charlie. What other? Uh, it's kind of an end of the year checkpoint, Charlie. Wrap up. What other great books have you read this year that you would recommend? Well, I'm reading at the moment. I'm reading uh, John Meacham's uh, biography of Thomas Jefferson, which you know I've read a lot about Thomas Jefferson. I even struggled through all five volumes of Dumas Malone. But you know, Meacham's a very accessible writer, and I just picked the book up one day and started reading it. Now I'm I'm going to read you know read, read through the finish. Uh, I also read a, a really terrific book about. How the how violent the Congress was in the years leading up uh, to the Civil War, called Fields of Blood, by a historian okay. named Julian Freeman, another one of my Twitter pals, who works at Yale and is an expert on, among other people, Alexander Hamilton, but also about you know the, the period right before the Civil War, uh, and it's all about how you know guys, you know guys, you know, it's not just about Charles Sumner getting beaten almost to death by Preston Brooks. It's about how that happened. 
That kind of thing happened like every other day in the Congress <laughs> leading up to the Civil War. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to see how uh, Lincoln dealt with the traitors after the Civil War. Do you think the January 6th Commission and others, are we going to be able to have that sort of power and gravitas to deal with these bastards that try to burn the Constitution, take this well, country down? Well, I hope, so. I, I hope some of them go to jail. Uh, yeah. You know, Jefferson, Jefferson Davis went to jail for a while. We didn't. Uh, I hope a, a larger percentage of the people who organized and touched this thing off go to jail than did the members of the Confederate government. The vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Hamilton Stevens, was reelected to his old Senate seat in Georgia uh, like the war never happened. Incredible. And not only that, he had a statue in Statuary Hall in the Capitol up until about six months ago. What? Uh... So I want to, I want something a little bit more serious than that. I don't want I don't want the big lie to turn into the next lost cause, you know? Right. Exactly. What uh, you know, it's amazing for all of the allegations and all the things we know uh, what Trump did, uh, you know, in terms of destroying, trying to destroy the democracy, that there's still talk of him running in 2024. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I think I think he'd run from a jail cell. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it, it, it blows my mind in a way. Part of me, because it's and you and I've talked about this before, because I'm not completely confident that the Democrats will ever get their uh, thing together. I almost think if Trump runs, it, it's the one way to uh, soften, uh, get the vote out for the Democrats and also uh, fight against all this redistricting that's been going on and, and all the voting rights that are being curtailed. What do you feel about that? I think it's possible. I think combined with, you know, with whatever the Supreme Court rules on abortion in June, that the Democrats have, you know, only themselves to blame if they don't get their votes out yeah. next year. I mean, because you're getting, you know, you're getting a really good look at what government under the Republican Party as it's presently constituted. You're getting a really good look at what that's like now. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're not living under it is because you've got Democrats, you know, with, a, with quasi-majorities in both houses of Congress. Do you think Breyer's going to retire in time for us to uh, get a liberal Supreme Court justice on board? Uh, probably not. Uh, hmm. I mean, he seems extraordinarily... Uh, I don't know. You know, it's just, just extraordinarily uh, you know, determined to stay in there the way Ginsburg yeah. did. And I don't know why he didn't learn from Ginsburg and what happened. Uh, you know, if he's going to do that, he's going to have to do it in the next year. Because yeah. if the Republicans take the majority back, you're going to have another Merrick Garland on your hands. Yeah. You know, Biden will nominate somebody and nobody will care. Speaking of Merrick Garland, what kind of a job do you think he's doing? 
I don't know. I mean, I like to believe that, you know, that the real, you know, like water polo, the real action is going on under the surface. But, I mean, he's being handed stuff on platters here. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know the inner workings of the Justice Department to know what's actually going on. But I think he's testing the patience of a lot of people. Mine, for sure. What about... Uh... I would love to see Kamala Harris get a little more involved here. What about you? Well, I think she is. I think she's got her own problems with the media right now. They seem to want, you know, they seem to be content with turning her into uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, I read political Politico every day. Uh, that blog, website, magazine, whatever you want to call it, uh, drives me somewhat crazy. Who's behind Politico? Well, right now, it just got sold to a German publisher uh, who's quite conservative. Now, I don't know if he's owned it long enough to really have a uh, have an impact, and I know a lot of the people who work there, and some of them are very, their congressional reporter, Burgess, Burgess Everett, is absolutely top of the line. I mean, he's one of the hardest working people I ever saw. And, you know, and there, there are a few other people and, and, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, when they get them away, get Politico away from Washington and out into the world, you get some decent stuff, but by and large, you know, they've, they've bought into theater criticism. Do you know this guy? Uh, I follow him on Twitter and I've read a lot of stuff. This uh, Lucian Truscott, I know of him. I mean, he he was the previous generation of alternative media before me. Uh, he was he was at the village, he was at the Village Voice back in the real glory days. Okay, that's where he came from. He's also got some white. Yeah, his, his father and grandfather were, were both army generals. Hmm. And he, I believe, was in the army. I'm not sure. Uh, he wrote a book. Uh, I always get it confused. A uh, uh, murder mystery at. Uh, at West Point called Dress Gray. It was really okay. good. And I followed his magazine stuff for a long time. And then he's also that he veers off into uh, when Dylan came back to Greenwich Village, uh, he and Lucian at least spent an evening together, I think at Lucian's apartment with Bob banging yeah. on the panel. Yeah, I mean they're all they're all buddies from the you know, gaslight and kettle of fish days and lion's head days. Yeah. Oh, I've been to all those places. I was lucky enough to... And all of a sudden, Lucian popped up on Twitter. And I don't know him. I mean, we've, again, we've Twitter corresponded a couple of times when he's responded to, you know, something I wrote. But I, we, I've never been in the same place with him or anything. Huh. We did, well, we did, I, we did frequent the same saloons in New York at different, at different times in history. Right. I was lucky enough... To get to the original Kettle of Fish, which was right above the Gaslight Cafe, right. back I believe, had sawdust on the floor and that great uh, neon that said bar with that great picture of Kerouac standing outside of it, which is now in the new Kettle of Fish, which is in the old Lion's Head. Have you is been that there? True? Yeah, that no, was I didn't true. know. I didn't know that the old Lion's Head had been occupied by anything. It's now called the Kettle of Fish, and you would enjoy it if you get there. 
because the guy that runs it is from Wisconsin. So wow. the, the new kettle of fish. Now, this, is, this is the old, this is the old lion's head that's below the sidewalk, right? Exactly. Yeah. On Christopher street. Right. Okay. Uh, from the stone wall in and the guy that runs it is Wisconsin boys. So that it's turned into Packers headquarters on Sundays during the football season. Really? Yeah, I've got home a little bit. His sister goes, went to the University of Minnesota, so we kind of hit it off. And uh, but they've got that uh, that neon bar sign in the back room uh, of the new kettle of fish. The old lion said, "You got to go." Wait, that's where we got to hook up uh, one of these days in Greenwich Village, Charlie. Oh Paris. yeah, you I mean, I, you know, I was, yeah. a, I was a habitué at a lion's head for every time. You know, a sports writing trip or anything would take me to New York. Oh man, I'd wind up. I'd wind up there. It's nice to see some of those places. Really, yeah, the inside of, haven't changed. Yeah, you know, no. It, when a lot of them are gone, uh, you know, every place I used to hang in New York is, you know, the the original Runyons is gone. Uh, the, you know, obviously the the head is gone. Uh, you know, so I, uh, you know, I tend to hang out at whatever you know Irish pub is handy, basically. When I go there now, there was a place. Also, I... also, there's a great, there's a great place called Jimmy's Corner, uh, off Times Square. It's a, a shot, really a shotgun shack of a bar. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it would be called the dive bar, but that's enormously disrespect. Uh, <laughs> and it was run by a guy, a guy I can't remember Jimmy's last name, but he was a corner man. For a whole bunch of boxes, including Dick Tiger and Emil Griffith and people like that, and it's just a great saloon. Uh, it's right off uh, right off Times Square, and uh, somebody introduced me to it. List. One of my one of my younger friends introduced me to it one time when I was in New York, and that is now my base camp when I go there. I'm putting that down on my list of places to go. Yeah, we Jimmy passed away. Jim, Jimmy is a, Jimmy was a COVID casualty, I believe, sometime uh, in the last year or so. But the bar's still there. Fantastic. Well, we've got Charlie Pearson uh, for one more set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We're going to listen to a little music. And uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about a guy we always gets brought up in these Checkpoint Charlie episodes, Iron Range native Bob Dylan. We'll be right back after a little music and a few words from our sponsors. This mountain, you know where I wanna go. Straight down the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico. To Lake Charles, Louisiana, little Bessie girl I once knew. And she told me just to come on by if there's anything that she could do. Welcome back to the last show of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Happy holidays, everybody. This is your host, Paul Metza. Our guest, the great Charles Pierce, in our continuing episodes, we call Checkpoint Charlie. Charlie, we were talking about uh, bars in New York. I'm going to tell you a little story. When I first went out there in the mid-'80s, I stumbled on a little joint on Bleecker Street called Mills Tavern. And I walked okay. in 
like walking back into the Iron Range. It was a old, beautiful oak bar, about a 30-pound black cat sitting on the bar, and they had Pabst Blue Ribbon in cans for $2 an hour. And I thought I had died. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And so when I was, uh, over the years, I was reading one of the Dylan books, and it said that's where he wrote Just Like a Woman. And it makes complete sense because it was like a bar on the Iron Range. So then, kind of around that time, I'm talking to uh, America's greatest folk singer along with Ramblin' Jack Elliott, Spider John Kerner, who spent a lot of time in Greenwich Village back in the day. And we were talking about Mills Tavern. And he said he was there in the afternoon with the guy who later went on to become one of the bank robbers who ended up in that Al Pacino movie, Dog Day Afternoon. Really? Wow, that's a good one. I like that. Who, yeah, with the, 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 uh, the robber. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to interview John here in the next month for my TV show, and I've got to get... Uh, the rest of the story, of course, Kerner's brimming with stories. Did you ever get to see John when he played out at, uh, what was that Irish bar in Cambridge? Oh, well, they, they, I think, well, I, did he play at the Plowing Stars? Yeah, that was the one. I saw him in Cambridge somewhere. I think it was a, it was either it was either Club 47 or the Plowing Stars. I think it was probably the Plowing Stars. Yeah, he was, that was kind of his house gig when he'd go out east. Yeah, uh, that was a... Uh, that was Van Mor- That was Van Morrison's local when he lived in Cambridge, when he was hiding from the mob. Interesting. Now, I also heard through the grapevine that uh, that was uh, that was a great place to raise money for the IRA. It was an amazing place. Yeah, Norade was all over that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you're watching. And on the break, you mentioned get ba- get back that. Phenomenal eight-hour Beatles documentary. Are you all the way through it yet, or where are you? Yeah, I finished up. I watched the last of it last night, and I, having watched the you know the the original movie, mm-hmm. which was depressing as hell. Yeah, this was. I mean, if, if you can't understand the dynamic within a band by watching this movie, I don't know what to tell you. Right, because there's that one scene where Paul is just noodling on the guitar, or actually on the bass, and all of a sudden comes up with Get Back. Right. I, yeah, I saw that Out part. of nowhere. I mean, I mean, he's literally... And then all of a sudden he comes up with Get Back. Yeah. It's incredible. And you know who uh, really comes off well? A guy I think we'd all like to hang out with is Ringo Starr. Yeah, he... he he actually kept, you know, he kept a little bit more back from the camera, I think, than the other three. Yeah. But it was watching the watching the dynamic between between Paul and John. I mean, you could see that the, you know, these guys may have been falling apart as a band, but they still really loved each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, they had shared so much. I mean, I can't imagine how you would how you would not come to that conclusion. People, and I've you know, I've explained this to to younger people. They, they don't understand what an earthquake these guys were. Right. All of a sudden, one day, everything about popular culture was different. February 9th, 1964, Ed Sullivan. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, musicians in that genre, in, you know, rock and roll and soul and everything else, all of a sudden, all the shackles were off. Yeah. And then, you know, along comes Dylan, and whatever shackles remain were blown to pieces. <laughs> and, and we were off. But I just, I loved, I, I thought that was one of the most remarkable things. Peter Jackson, of course, is the hell of a director, so you don't expect anything less than a really good movie. But I, well, again, I always, and I've said this all, all my life, I love any Beatles cut where you can see what a kick-ass bar band they must have been in Germany. Oh, my God. Well, you know, four or five hour sets a night, six nights a week. Uh, the thing that I think I love about any band, but the Beatles in particular, is they swung like hell. I mean, yeah. these guys... These guys had the rock, but they had the role. And the role, for me, is, uh, you know, that's the magic elixir for Paul Messa. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of that comes from Ringo, who yeah. was underrated through those, you know, all that time. But I was just listening the other day. I was listening to, I listened to Abbey Road all the way through because it just came up, mm -hmm. and I figured, what the heck, I'm too lazy to change the thing. What he does, and that's his album. What he does on that album regarding, you know, colorations and tempo and stuff is astonishing. Yeah. Not yeah. just the come together, which is just a masterpiece, but that long medley on the second. I mean, he's got three or four different tempos that he has to, I mean, he's extraordinary. And he takes a tasty little solo. Yeah. I remember Christmas Eve, 1967, my mom and dad bought us kids a little portable record player and we also had a fresh copy of sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band my grandpa bought me uh, a little gibson amp and a little microphone that i bought uh at one of the lo local electronic stores that you would plug into back then a cassette player we plugged that my grandpa also built me a wooden mic stand god bless that guy he bought me my first guitar, but we put that microphone on the little speaker on the turntable, turned up the amp, listened to Sgt. Pepper all night long. I was 12 years old. My mind is still blown from that evening. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and also, uh, you know, I, you know, again, it, I mean, again, it, it, it threw out the gauntlet for everyone to catch up with. All, well, of were, all, all of a sudden, albums became important. Well, you remember the nights way back when, Charlie, when we used to get a get whatever new LP, and we'd invite the friends over to the house, and that's all we do is sit around and listen to records. You know, no fun. Well, I remember. I remember when I was I was in high school, just starting high school, when WBCN in Boston changed to you know, what was then called underground rock. Yeah. Yeah, this is when Peter Wolf was the was the overnight DJ. And oh. uh, and he would have Van Morrison in and they would play old R and B records together. But I remember oh. I remember when that changed and that happened. And it was like an you know, it was an entire world that opens up and it's completely due to the fact that it was the Beatles who had the key. Did you know I've worked with a publicist in New York named Gail Parento for years. Her ex-husband, they were married at the time, was Mark Parento. He was a 
Yeah, his, 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 his brother Barry went to high school with me. Oh, really? Small world. Yeah, Mark was a, Mark was a big DJ. Cool. And I just saw Gail when I played out uh, for the 60th anniversary of Gertie's Folk City. Uh, oh, when was that? The, that was right before the lockdown. Uh, 20, February, uh, was February, no, January 21st, 2020. Willie Nile was there. Carolyn Hester, uh, who gave Dylan her big break. That's where John Hammond discovered Bob Dylan was at a rehearsal at Carolyn Hester's apartment. Now, everybody knows the story that Hammond uh, discovered Dylan during those sessions, but you had to listen to Wall of Power Radio because I interviewed Carolyn about a month later, who sings still uh, like an angel. She's 84 now. But Hammond discovered her at the rehearsal at Carolyn's apartment where they were sitting in their kitchen around the picnic table because that's how beatniks rolled. They had a picnic table in their kitchen. But that's where John initially stumbled on Bob Dylan. Really? That's hilarious. You know, Mark Mark passed away about six years years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, he had a surgery. He was 66. Uh, Surgery Mm -hmm. went bad on him, uh, died on the table, I believe. Well, may he rest in peace. Yeah, he was an excellent, I mean, they had, you know, Charles Lockwoodara, and they had an excellent bunch of DJs. And, of course, if if you've never heard Peter Wolf at the disc jockey, you're in for a treat. Because the guy had, I mean, the guy, as, as was witnessed when he was a front man, the guy had the pattern down pat. I was actually walking in Boston with Kenmore. It was the same street that the Boston Phoenix was on. Is that Kenmore Street? Uh, the, well, when were you there? I was there in about 1986. Yeah, that's when the Phoenix was up from Kenmore Square. They had moved from where I, I worked at a place at their offices when they were at the, on Newbury and Mass Ave, which is down yeah. towards the common from Kenmore Square. And yeah, they moved Newbury, up to Brookline Ave past the ballpark. Yeah, because Newbury Comics was on that same block, I believe. It was, yeah, Newbury Comics was, was close to the office where I worked. When I was, was, walking, I was walking down the street, Charlie, and Peter Wolf was there with a couple of uh, lady friends. And I just went up and introduced myself. Of course, I knew who he was. And uh, he, I told him I was from Minneapolis. And he goes, how's John Kern and Willie Murphy doing? Oh, jeez. Really? I, that was so cool. Yeah. The, I mean, the guy, the guy was a walking encyclopedia. He was always around. I mean, that was, the thing about, that was the thing about Peter. He was always, you know, because BCN and the Phoenix had a lot of cross-pollination in terms of mm-hmm. promotions and stuff. So, we had a lot of joint parties and stuff. Peter was always around. I mean, you know, and he's unmistakable. He'd always wear the Homburg, and he'd always yeah. you know, he'd have dark glasses on in the middle of January. <laughs> and he was, I mean, he was good to have along. And he knows his stuff, boy. Oh yeah, he knows R and B. I mean, ancient R and B. He knows guys, back when we, they were called back when they called like race records. Yeah, right. Well, speaking of guys that know their stuff, have you checked out any of these YouTube performances of uh, of, of uh, Bob Dylan here in his November 2021 tour? I just I saw Queen Jane the other day. 
and I actually tweeted about it. Uh, Queen Jane from Highway 61 was the song that that hooked me on him. I yeah. just loved the way that song was structured. Uh, and of course, then I played the rest of the album, and I was lost forever. Uh, but that one, that, that that Queen Jane that's on YouTube now, mm-hmm. it's so wistful and so beautiful. Well, I yeah, because there was the a... original was back was back in his. Every song I write is an outburst of spite towards Susie Rotolo. <laughs> and, and her sisters. Yeah. You know, so, but this is just, you know, it, it, it's, it's not like he's apologizing to those people, but it's like he's, he's saying, you know, this, I, this is where I am in the twilight of my life as far as all that stuff goes. Yeah, and I was just right. incredible. I was incredibly moved by it. I don't know who the musicians are. Well, what what I love about uh, Dylan, which is you know, just about everything, he's got uh, his tour dates for this Rough and Rowdy tour go through twenty twenty four, and the dude's eighty years old. You know, yeah. Most guys are playing shuffleboard at that age down in Florida. No, he's uh, the the never ending tour. Is he's not kidding? Yeah. Well, his uh, the one thing uh, about the song you, you were just talking about. And, and others, I, I had a long conversation with the late, great Jimmy Lafave, probably next to Richie Havens, one of the greatest Dylan interpreters uh, ever. He uh, passed away just a few years ago at about the age of 63. He was uh, based in Austin, Texas for years. But he and I always talked about what Dylan never got enough credit for was his chord changes. Queen Jane as a case in point, Tears of Rage. Yeah, uh, you know, not only these great melodies that that he's inventing or co- or or borrowing, but he's got some incredible chord changes. And Jimmy and I always thought Bob never got enough credit for that. Yeah, but, uh, that, you know that whole the whole you know the, the you know Queen Jane like like a Rolling Stone doesn't have a bridge. Yeah, and Queen Jane doesn't even really have a chorus. <laughs> yeah, got one well, line. I mean. Come see me, Queen Jane. That's the whole chorus. <laughs> well, that's why we love Bob Dylan. And uh, I talked, in fact, uh, I'm having Ann Margaret Daniel on, on Christmas night on the Wall of Power Radio Art. And she saw five of those shows on this tour. And uh, we talked briefly before the interview. And uh, she's just raving about it. Uh, she said, and she's probably one of the most sophisticated Dylan uh fans and followers teaches a course on him at new at uh, the new school university in new york she said he's totally on top of his game right now yeah that's what everybody said who's seen i mean he, he was in boston i didn't even know it i mean i'm out of you know i'm so out of touch with things but uh yeah i guess she came out guess she came up to the boston show i think yeah yeah and uh and i know she saw him at the beacon i don't know however many times he played there she saw it all to, yeah, yeah, and and Margaret, she, you know, quite a she's quite a she's quite an enthusiast when she gets enthusiastic about stuff. Oh, she sure is. She's a ball to talk to, and she knows quite a bit about F. Scott Fitzgerald as well. That, yeah, I was I, I was about to say F. Scott and Zelda and the band and Bob Dylan. Yeah, that's all you need to know. Charlie Pierce, uh, I want to thank you for taking time. Not just I want to I want to say I want to. 
I want to tell you that I'm very happy your health has turned around. I was really worried there for a while. And oh, I, I want to say I want to say Merry Christmas and Joyeux Noel and everything else. Feliz Navidad to uh, all the power, our power people and the extended our power family. And let's do it again after the first of the year. That's for sure, Charlie. And you've got a, I found a book uh, that I bought at Penn Station, a little bookstore years ago that has got your name all over it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to get it in the mail to you here in the next couple of days. And really? uh, going to be some great holiday reading for you while you're nursing a hot toddy or two. Oh, that's, now you're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> you, got snow in Duluth? you got snow in Duluth yet? About six inches. It's, uh, hey, there we go. It's, it's gorgeous, though. You know, I can lock up my door and see Lake Superior. The dog and I take three walks a week down by the lake. And um, all you have to do is look at those rocks on the lake that have been there for hundreds of thousands of years and realize we are just a speck in time. Yeah, that's true. That, that one thing about the great, one thing about the great, they will humble you in one oh. way or another. Absolutely. Well, Charlie Pierce, thanks so much. You have a wonderful holiday. And, yeah, you uh, too, Paul. Take care, my friend. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll get back. Let's get back in 2022. Right around the corner. 24th of December is a stranger I walk Like I just lost the keys to this city As a sailor I've sent postcards round the world But the picture tonight wasn't pretty I walked in the shadows of haunted hotels Like a miner trapped in a cavern Well I looked to the east and a star had shone down And it led me right to Molly's Tavern so I follow the footprints made in the snow by Salvation Army musicians. I got in line and I stood right behind a tap dancer and two blind magicians. You would have thought I had been there before as Molly stood there to greet me. Eighty years old with a gleam in her eye said you're expected and proceeded to see me. Come all ye low down around earth Lift up you low down ways Pass the malt and the mistletoe It's almost Christmas Day I walked around in the heart player asked if I would like to request a selection. I smiled and I asked for God bless the child and for him I took up a collection. I spotted a man with a white beard and red from a distance looked just like Chris Kringle. As he went to the roof, oh I thought I heard hoofs and I swear I heard sleigh bells a jingle. We waltzed on a dance floor made out of glass Between dances we sang Christmas carols Then we lit candles, had a moment of silence The bartender read F. Scott Fitzgerald Molly said first we must give to receive We put our trinkets into a kitty In went my compass and my grandfather's watch And I pulled out the key to the city Come on, you low down around earth 
It's almost Christmas So I guess if there's a lesson I've learned It is one that will keep me from danger Sometimes you get lost just so you will be found And return the kindness to strangers I explained how I felt as I kissed Molly's hand Like a miner freed from a cavern Merry Christmas, baby, is what she said to me But it's like this each night in my tavern So I sail on the oceans and stare at the sky And it seems like the whole world's on fire And I just want to make angel wings in the snow And sing this song in that midnight choir Come all ye low-down rounders Lift up your low It's almost Christmas Day It's almost Christmas Day It's almost Christmas Day It's almost Thanks for listening to Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Lillian. We'd like to thank our guest, Checkpoint Charlie Pierce. We hope everybody out there is enjoying the holiday season. I've got a new book coming out in January called Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Songs, and Stories. Follow me at paulmetza.com to find out more about that. Once again, thanks for listening, and like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Merry Christmas, everybody.